Hi, everyone. Happy New Year, and welcome back for another episode of Endpoint Enigma. I'm your host, Hank Schles, and we're glad to have you here listening today. Uh, one tradition here at Lookout that we like to carry out every year is to reflect on the previous year, look at some security trends we observed and some lessons we learned and, and other things we witnessed out in the market. Um, so I think looking at 2020 is obviously an especially challenging year for all sorts of reasons for many people, um, but that includes in the security industry. A lot of the changes that we're going to discuss in this episode, you know, really challenge the industry and everyone across all aspects of it. So we're going to talk a little bit about that and then also a glimpse into what we can expect in 2021. And joining me today to talk about all of this are two members of our threat research team. So I'm excited to have them on because they spend all day, every day, making us safer by analyzing mobile threats and really have an expert understanding of the entire threat landscape. So first we have Christoph Hiebeisen, who is our security intel research lead. He's the head of the team. Um, Christoph, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me on Endpoint Enigma. <laughs> Always a pleasure. Um, and then we also have uh, another security intel researcher, engineer, Christina Balam. And Christina, we're glad to have you on here as well. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So guys, let's dive right into it. So um, something that has consumed as a part of our everyday lives for everybody is the COVID-19 pandemic. And I remember towards the beginning, people were, you know, it was more about, okay, let's try to contain this virus. Um, the idea of contact tracing apps was really coming into the forefront of a lot of conversations pretty early on in the pandemic. And understandably, people were kind of afraid that these apps might not be so secure and that their privacy could be compromised as part of this process. So Christoph, first questions for you. What role do you think privacy will play in 2021, both in the context of COVID and coming out of those woods and then uh, on a greater scale? I'm glad you mentioned COVID tracking apps because that's really a good news story for privacy, I think. Initially, there were, of course, those reports of COVID passport apps out of China. Um, and if those showed a red screen, uh, you wouldn't be allowed into certain buildings or certain areas of the city. And that really sounded like a nightmare straight out of 1984. But then Google and Apple and uh, public health authorities got together. And I think they really did the right thing in most places in Europe and uh, North America and created... Um, effective apps that don't compromise people's privacy. Now, if everybody actually installed them, maybe we would do better at tracking where COVID is coming and going. But uh, so far, it seems we are not having much luck with that. But I think that in 2020, there was actually another really important privacy story. And it might in the longer run have some quite welcome uh, consequences. Strangely enough, it starts with an app that teenagers use to post 60-second dance videos. I'm talking about TikTok, of course. So as opposed to all your concerns about the data we share on social media, you may remember Cambridge Analytica scandal three years ago that had absolutely no impact on people's behavior, I would say. And it turns out that the spying accusations against TikTok, uh, they made a lot of noise, but they ultimately turned out to be red herrings or there was simply no evidence that there was actually any spying uh, going on. 
But it had some real world consequences, especially public sector employers, but then also some private sector uh, employers started banning TikTok from uh, their employees' devices. And I think that woke up enterprises and governments to the exposure of the uh, privacy and confidentiality that they have through their employees' uh, devices. In the long run, this will uh, really increase uh, consumer awareness as well. It tends to lag a little bit behind. Apple has really taken the lead here and they have recognized uh, that consumers will want that. And they now require app developers to post privacy, what they call nutrition labels, to be displayed for every app in the App Store. And they were the first to take this action, but I doubt they'll be the last. And I fully expect uh, that users will come to uh, demand to know what happens with all of their data. There's a lot to, to think about there. You know, I think especially the last couple things you mentioned with the nutrition labels, the first thing I thought of when I saw that come out was uh, when all the fast food restaurants were required to post their nutrition facts somewhere in their restaurant. And then people realized that, oh, this stuff actually is bad for me. Now, that's not to say that mobile apps are bad for people, but sort of a similar, you know, let's see how the sausage is made type situation. It will be interesting to see if people beyond just security conscious folk start to demand a better understanding of what's going on with their data. And we obviously hope for that. Now, Christina, to continue down this same thread, COVID obviously forced all of us to stay at home. I'd really be interested to know what you think about how that changed things from a threat standpoint in 2020, and if you think any trends will continue to grow in 2021, or if maybe some new ones will come about. Yeah, I mean, as we've talked about, COVID has changed so much about how we live and work. And these kind of new normals, the whole work from home life and lockdown life, have given opportunities to attackers that they didn't really have before, or at least not in the same kind of scale. Um, And now they're also able to monopolize on the fears that many of us had, especially at the beginning of the pandemic, you know, uncertainties about the stock market, our health, our families, our work life for a while. And so you really saw attackers take advantage of that. On top of that, now that we're all at home, more people are using digital channels that they might not have relied on as much before. You have a lot of kids that are in school virtually and, you know, we have nonstop Zoom meetings. Uh, And so, you know, that kind of gave attackers just, I guess, another attack surface for any kind of nefarious things that they wanted to try and attempt. So we've seen a lot of phishing emails and messages and websites that are attempting to lure people by pretending to come from trusted organizations like, you know, the U.S. Center for Disease Control and Prevention, um, the WHO, government health advisors, and phishing kits that are even targeting airline customers. And um, you can actually find a surprising number of these on the dark web. They're like two US dollars per kit. And part of the advertising campaign, I guess, for them on the dark web is that you don't even really have to have any technical expertise. Um, In kind of like the malware space as well, we're seeing a lot of fake COVID-19 apps that have popped up. And basically every known Android banking Trojan family has been embedded in some kind of fake COVID-19 application. So the most common of these are the ones masquerading as applications for getting COVID alerts from your area or for tracking global infection rates. So, I mean, for 2021, it doesn't really seem like COVID-19 is going anywhere. And I think we can expect to see these threats continue and probably pivot slightly 
to lure victims based on the new information and the support we're receiving, like the vaccine distributions and relief funds and that kind of thing. Yeah, totally. Um, it'd be almost like a full circle for it you know, to come around and say, okay, we, <laughs> all these bad guys started off by targeting us because we want to learn new information or we want to hear about where infections are increasing rapidly, whatever it may be. Um, and then for it to come full circle on you know, vaccine relief, all of that would be probably not that surprising. Yeah, absolutely. So, Christoph, we've talked a lot about phishing so far. Um, you know, Christina mentioned a little bit about how some of this malware is starting to get embedded into applications. You know, there were other threats in 2020. So what are the ones that you think we need to be most aware of? In mobile malware, what we kind of saw in the past would mostly have been what you'd refer to as petty crime. You steal some money via premium text messages or uh, you annoy the hell out of users through adware and, and cash in on the paper impression cost to advertisers. Or maybe you rip off the advertisers directly by uh, using click fraud. Um, on the other end of the malware spectrum, you kind of see these very organized but not financially motivated malwares, uh, namely governments spying on either their own citizens or on foreigners. Um, but apparently now the crooks are taking a page from Big Brother's book and are becoming more professional. What we have seen over the last couple of years have been uh, legit looking companies engaging in behavior that is really malware-like. For example, uh, we reported on Kutek, um, uh, their business model really appears to have relied a lot on revenue from adware because after Lookout reported how their beta SDK spammed users with ads, their market cap took a fairly significant hit. And uh, from what I've seen, they never really recovered from that. So that's legit looking companies doing shady things. We kind of see uh, the same development really in the deep dark criminal underground. Christina mentioned banking Trojans. What I really find fascinating about those is that they are becoming ever less vertically integrated. It's developed by one group, they sell it, um, then it's customized and deployed against uh, a target user base. Then the credentials are skimmed and maybe that group doesn't even use the credentials to get the money. They sell a big file of credentials to yet another party that then capitalizes on that. So that's kind of uh, developments we saw over the last few years. But in 2020, we came across a cross-platform Android and iOS malware that we called Guntact. And that one is fascinating because it really fills a niche that was largely empty, at least in the mobile malware space so far. What happened uh, with this malware in, in short is that users in uh, East Asia were lured with the promise of explicit chats or video calls with women. And then during those calls or chats under some kind of pretext, they were uh, enticed to install a, what was supposedly a chat app. Um, what was really though a malware that would steal their address book. Now put those two things together, that makes a perfect recipe for blackmail. So it combined the financial motivation of something like ransomware with an online honey trap. And the really interesting thing here is that honey traps are a very old trick. They were a favorite of the KGB during the Cold War. And I'd be extremely surprised if they hadn't been used even centuries before that. And 
while I can't really say uh, what we'll see next year, I'm pretty sure that creativity will continue and there'll be a whole new set of criminal profitable schemes in 2021. Yeah, absolutely. It seems like every year we say, oh, well, there's no way they can get more creative or come up with a wackier idea. And, you know, it does show the different ways that people can take almost like an organized crime approach to it. Um, and it actually reminded me a lot of, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure it was a few years ago, we discovered a remote access Trojan that uh, targeted Israeli Defense Force soldiers, right? And did they kind of take a similar approach where they pretended, the malware pretended to be a woman who was chatting with them and then they said, oh, download this chat app or something like that? Yeah, absolutely. That uh, that was another use of a honey trap in mobile malware, not for money in that case, but uh, for spying. Yes, that we have definitely seen. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, but look, I mean, like you said, they're always evolving. So this is obviously a new evolution in that process. Um, another thing that was big in 2020, especially for hospitals, was ransomware targeting these types of, uh, of organizations. So Christina, can you describe first a bit on what ransomware is, but also how it might also have still have a major role uh, in 2021? Yeah, absolutely. So in a nutshell, ransomware is basically software that once you install it onto a device, a computer, et cetera, it allows the attacker to hijack the user's files, um, photos, the phone, the computer, and then they typically demand some kind of payment in order to get access to whatever has been locked or encrypted. Um, we've seen ransomware really pose a significant threat to desktop users and networks for years, but the evolution of mobile ransomware really hit a milestone in 2020. You know, as we've been talking about with COVID, so much of our life has changed and moved online and often to our mobile devices. This is, you know, another lucrative opportunity for ransomware developers. So when it comes to mobile, um, ransomware can kind of operate in, in a similar way. It can encrypt the files on your device the same way that PC uh, ransomware does. But for a long time, it was using a different method. It was actually just plastering your entire screen with a ransomware note that would block you from actually using your device or getting into any of your files and stuff. And typically they did this through using an Android permission called system alert window. And this would just create an overlay window that you can dismiss or circumvent in any way. But then Google actually added protections against it uh, last year in Android 10. And then when that happened, of course, ransomware developers needed to pivot if they wanted to execute some of the more sophisticated and effective attacks. One of the ransomware families for mobile that we saw do this was called Malllocker. And the way that it pivoted was by actually manipulating the notifications you'd get when you get a phone call because the operating system would prioritize those. And, uh, and they combined this with a callback that would notify the application when you're going to close it. So they basically created this like infinite loop of ransom note pop-ups. You know, we're seeing this, this growth in sophistication, but also in popularity. Like you said, Hank, ransomware dominated a lot of the discussions about malware for 2020 because it tended to target all of these really important institutions like hospitals. And there are a significant number of ransomware kits for sale on the dark web. Now, similar to phishing kits, they're not expensive. I mean, you can buy them for 30 US dollars. And a lot of these vendors even promise customer support. Uh, they claim you don't really need any technical expertise, and they will help you set it up however you like. So it's it's quite concerning that there are so many kits available online for such a small amount of money, and the barrier to entry is quite low. So, you know, just in the same way that we don't necessarily expect the COVID-19 threats to go away, we're likely not going to see this go away into 2021. It's probably just going to continue to grow in popularity. 
Yeah, absolutely. If, if anything, it's shown that's a more viable uh, avenue than maybe people thought before. Absolutely. And I remember, yeah, one in particular uh, was, I think it was like the University of Vermont healthcare uh, hospital system got targeted and that took down, I mean, that took down all sorts of stuff. It can have more than just financial impact on uh, lives of, of the people in the hospitals and, and people who rely on it, obviously, for um, their own health and safety. Um, so the last one um, that I'm going to send back to you here, Christoph, um, we did see Apple launch new uh, Macs and MacBooks that are running on some new hardware that's much closer to what we have in our smartphones and tablets. And I'm actually particularly interested in this question because I actually ordered one of them. Um, but this brings up an interesting shift is that it's really making desktops, computers, laptops, however you want to say it, are shifting to look more like mobile devices. And I remember probably last year, uh, Apple was running an ad campaign that said your next laptop isn't a laptop. It showed a picture of an iPad. So my question in long-winded form um, is, uh, you know, do you think that this merging of mobile and more traditional operating systems is going to impact how we think about cybersecurity going into the future? Yeah, absolutely. I think that move towards um, ARM chips, M1 in um, particular, is exciting at so many levels. But I, I really think that as this shift goes um, from desktop towards more mobile OS-like uh, operating systems, M1 is really more of a symptom than a driver. Um, for those of us who have been watching this space uh, for a while, the writing's really been on the wall. In 2019, macOS uh, Catalina was released. And in that release, um, Apple already deprecated uh, kernel extensions. So if you can't run a kernel extension anymore as third-party software, you really have much less deep access to the system that you're running on. So you will now have to rely on APIs that are supplied by Apple directly and that are essentially the approved way of doing things. Um, Microsoft is kind of coming at the same thing from a different direction. In Windows 10, you can activate something called S-Mode. And uh, in S-Mode, uh, you're limited to what apps you can and cannot install or run. And it's just apps from the Microsoft App Store. Again, that should sound familiar. It's something that looks very much uh, like your mobile phone. And at the same time, you may have noticed Chromebooks are becoming ever more popular. I think they got an enormous boost from all the home education that is happening now with COVID and how every child needed a laptop and uh, Chromebooks are just relatively cost-effective laptops. But again, it, it's a laptop operating system that puts very strict limits on uh, what code you can run on the device. Um, overall, I think from a security perspective, those are uh, positive developments, both for security and for privacy, because now code is more embedded and uh, third-party code can't get as deep into the operating system and access all data. And so in that sense, uh, these developments reduce the attack surface. But there is a bit of a downside to this. Um, certainly desktop antivirus um, used to rely on very, very intrusive access to the system and that is being cut off at an increasing rate. My expectation is that desktop uh, security software will look very much like mobile security software in the near future.
Gotcha. Yeah, well, <clears throat> I guess only uh, time will tell. Um, and guys, thank you both for joining. I think that's a good place to wrap things up for our predictions on, well, your predictions on, uh, on 2021. Um, so Christoph and Christina, thank you both very much for joining us today. That's been my pleasure. Yes, thanks for having us. Absolutely. Anytime, guys. Anytime you want to come back, you know where to find me. Um, and for everyone listening, uh, we do actually have a predictions blog that Christoph wrote. Uh, you can find that on blog.lookout.com. And there's also a blog about the Goontact threat discovery that we talked about over the course of this conversation. Um, so check that out. It's a pretty interesting, in-depth technological explanation of it, how it works. And uh, I thought it was a very, very cool read. Um, so as always, be sure to follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter at Lookout. And uh, the Threat Research team actually also has a Twitter account, um, at Lookout Threats, so be sure to check that out. And thank you all for joining us as always, and we'll see you next time.